This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earning can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earn In today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 613 with Eliza Reynolds. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 613. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Eliza Reynolds is a best-selling author, speaker, and professional big sibling who keeps it real. She spent the last 15 years creating space for preteen and teen girls to be their authentic selves and now offers online mentorship programs teaching emotional intelligence, embodiment, body literacy, and more for big-hearted preteen and teen girls who are tired of faking it as badass girls. I know a number of you have teen girls. And I have a number of friends out there who have teen girls. And oh my goodness, I am getting an earful right now. It's a lot, so much to learn. I am incredibly grateful for Eliza's generous work. I had so many ahas about this whole topic as we had this conversation, but not just about teen girls, about myself, because I used to be a teen girl. And we talk a lot about inner teen work. And that's work that probably all women listening to the show need to do or would benefit from doing. I was so inspired to work on my own inner teen work after this conversation. I didn't realize that I had some serious stuff to heal until Eliza and I started having a conversation and she pointed out a few things to me where I just had huge aha moments. So I hope you'll join me in this venture because I think this could be critical to the way we show up and parent. So listen in to hear Eliza share the importance of doing our own inner teen work in order to support teens in our lives the importance of socializing girls to trust themselves, why we need to talk more about the intense parts of being a teen openly rather than shying away from it, probably the way we did back when we were actually teens, how we can heal our own inner teen in order to help the teens in our lives, how to self-regulate as a mom so you can respond rather than react in hard moments of parenting, the steps of moving from dependence to interdependence to independence in parenting, the three S's of toxic mean girl culture, how toxic mean girl culture is still alive and well among grown women and why it exists beyond the teen years, why hashtag girl power is a weary anthem that we need to replace with actual action steps to dismantle systems of oppression and build actual self-trust among our girls. 
why performative confidence is dangerous and damaging, and three ways for any mom to show up for preteen and teen girls in your family and in your community. This is a big conversation. It's a really important one. So listen, maybe more than once, please share it, share it widely. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you participating in this conversation because I think it's a game changer. So with all that said, please help me welcome Eliza Reynolds to the Shameless Mom Academy. Eliza, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to have you here today. Oh my God, Sarah. I am so excited to be here. Even before we press record, I'm having so much fun. So I'm so excited to get the proper conversation started. I know <laughs> this is like, people don't know that they might know. Cause I reference it from time to time, but we always have this like few minutes of pre-interview conversation. And yeah. this is where like, I always become best friends with my new podcast friends. <laughs> it's the so, secret reason I have a podcast. I just invite right? all of my friend crushes on my podcast. <laughs> yes. And it's really, it's like, you get like seven minutes and you're like, and now we're best friends. Let's hit record. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, do you want to give me your number? What's up? How are you? Yeah, <laughs> totally. Totally. So tell us a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now, as we're recording this, as we approach the end of 2021, but this will go live in early 2022. So I mean, lots of things going on in the world. So much going on in the world. What am I most excited about? I love asking that. We ask in our community a lot. We ask our preteen and teenage girls, you know, outside of this norm of so many people faking it, what is it that lights you up? And so to me, what I'm excited about, what's lighting me up, I'm excited to say no to the fall hustle culture, back to school, crazy winter push and to like semi hibernate. So when this releases in January, I hope we have a very more, much more rested me after a busy summer. So I'm excited to say no and rest a lot and flex that no muscle. It's probably one of the things I'm most excited about um, for the fall. (laughs) I love Um, that because I feel like a lot of people are like, I got to hunger down and get things done before the end of 2021. And you're like, I'm just going to be resting over here. I'm going to try and press that coast button to the best my ability. You know, like Adrian Marie Brown says like birds coast when they can. Right. And so I feel like so many of us talk the talk around rest and Mm -hmm. the real work, at least for me and so many of my colleagues and friends and my community is actually meeting those moments where we do say no, we turn it on coast or we go, how could I meet my worthiness and my enoughness in this sticky moment where shame shows up or hustle culture shows up and tries to push me to, you know, past burnout even. Mm -hmm. And yeah, grappling another layer of that myself and excited to see how I can practice that this fall. Yeah. Okay. So you work with teens and teen girls. Yes. And I have to tell you my background with teen girls. Please do. It was very brief, but so I have a nine-year-old son. So I, I don't have a upcoming event with teenage girls at this point in my life, but I can tell you my history with teen girls. I worked in a psychiatric hospital for my first career and I worked with the children. So the children's unit was ages, kids ages four to 14, but on occasion, and it was boys and girls in this unit on occasion though, with, because of staffing and stuff, they would move me over to the adolescent unit. And the first time I got, and the boys and girls were separated. So there was boys unit, girls unit. And the first time I got moved to the boys unit, I was absolutely terrified because it was teenage boys ages like 13, 14, up to 18, much bigger than me. A lot of them had violence in their past. Like it was very intimidating. So I was like, I can't that you can't. And I remember talking to my supervisor being like, you can't put me in the boys unit like this. I will die. And then she was like, okay, cool. Well, like, let's try the girls unit because we're really short with the adolescent staff right now. I'm like, okay, put me with the girls within like an hour. I was like, actually, can you put me back with the boys? That's I'm fine (laughs) because it was so hard being with the girls. And what was hard about it was how much I saw myself and their behavior. And I saw like, all of these things happening, which I think we're going to be digging into here, but I saw a lot around like insecurity and manipulation and just uncertainty about identity. And it was too much. It was like looking inside my own preteen and teen soul and (sighs) seeing it walking around in a psychiatric hospital. And I was like, give me the boys. Like I will risk being beat up (laughs) because it was so big. So can you talk about the work that you do with preteen and teen girls? And let's start there. Yeah. So we do work with folks who are socialized as girls, right? So people who are born, people like you're a girl. And then they're like, "Eh, maybe, or like, totally, you're right. I am. I appreciate that distinction. I think that's really important. (laughs) So thank you. So, But we work with people who have the experience of being raised as a girl. And so the messaging they get is around girlhood and femininity and womanhood, et cetera, et cetera. And I love 
Sarah, I am so freaking impressed that you were like, I saw me and that made me uncomfortable because this is so the crux that I try to get so many adults too, right? This is the crux of actually what we will be talking about today when adults start to attempt to relate in more healthy ways to preteens and teens is it brings up our stuff. It mm-hmm. brings up our unmet needs, our wounds. You know, people will talk about in different psychological models, right? Like inner child work. I think that's become yeah. a bit more normalized. Yeah. I'm here for inner teen work. I think mm. without us going back, because in fact, unfortunately, many of us do have to go back and receive some of the things we didn't get because the adults did not know how to support us when we were teens. It is almost impossible for us to support teens in a healthy way. So that's what I do. I support teens in a healthy way. I began this work when I was 15 years old. So for 15 years, I'm 30 right now. I've been facilitating thousands of preteens and teens. I wrote a book about it, et cetera. And I'm obsessed with us adults having the tools to support a generation of preteens and teens socialized as girls to mm. trust themselves. Okay. Oh my gosh. To trust themselves. And that's why, you know, the number one thing I get asked again and again about preteens and teens, I think you're going <laughs> to you'll laugh at this one. You'll know is this word confidence because everyone wants their kids to have it. It's a buzzword. Like I want to raise a confident girl. How do I raise a confident girl? And, you know, I appreciate that word and, and I feel the heartbreak of so many parents and loving adults behind that, right? Okay. She's confident Then I've done it good. I I'm, I'm okay. I've managed to do, <laughs> I've like know, checked the box, check that box. Woo. Right. Yeah. Cause you know, to a conscious parent or adult, we're looking around and going, oh my gosh, so many parts of this world and systems of this world are stacked against my kid, mm-hmm. you know, because she was born a girl. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, along many other intersectional identities we're talking about this one right now, And they go, okay, if I can somehow (laughs) raise her and she feels confident, then like I performed a a miracle, right? Yeah. It's just so hard. And at the end of the day, to me, confidence is a buzzword that means almost nothing. It's performance. I talked to my girls about it. (laughs) Totally. And exactly. And they feel like this shame for not performing confidence good enough for the adults around them. (laughs) For their confidence performance. Yeah. They do their best, but it gets messy. And so what we look at and what I am here for is a generation of girls and folks socialized as girls who trust themselves because again and again, we as a society normalize and teach preteen and teen girls to betray themselves, to center oh my other gosh. Folks needs, right? Other mm-hmm. folks' time, other folks' emotions. And then when they start to have a self that takes up space, we call them things like selfish and needy and bitchy and bossy. And we try and shame them back into smallness and non-existence. Yes. Oh my gosh. There's so many things I want to say. Everything that you just said just resonates so deeply. And I want to go back to what you said about us needing to do our own inner teen work. I think that that is like, yep, that was a very eye-opening statement. (laughs) (laughs) um, For me too. I had not previously (laughs) considered. And what's fascinating to me, and I think the reason it was so eye-opening is because I have been having this conversation around self-trust within my community. And I've also had it outside of my community. And it's been, as I've brought it into other people's communities, it's been so eye-opening when we talk about how women have been socialized. And I always go back to like, when you were super little and you were told to like sit on that uncle's lap and wear the cute dress and like mommy's on a diet. So we're going to have fish for dinner and all like so early on, you get these messages about making your body really small, pleasing other people, being pleasing other little boys when you're like seven years old, which is so weird, like all this stuff and how that creates a whole lifetime of not trusting, of ignoring your own intuition in order to do what other people want. And when I talk to women about this, especially as it relates to like diet culture and Mm-hmm. women and and how, I mean, just like diet culture alone, yes. how that, how like women are not CEOs because of diet culture. I mean, like we could yeah. trace it all back. Right. So yeah. anyway, but when we look at that self-trust piece that is missing in women, that is, can be so eye-opening when we point it out. And then we connect that to our inner teen. It's like, that's where you're deeply subconsciously, probably more than consciously realizing that you don't trust yourself and that you have to be listening to other people. And that's so stressful. It's so stressful to be trying to take in that messaging around like, well, I'd really like to do it this way, but my teacher says to do it this way. My parents say to do it this way. Uncle Bob says to do it this way. My godmother says to do it this way (laughs) so much. Yeah, it is so much, you know, and I'm just nodding along to everything you're saying, Sarah. It's like, 
exactly, unfortunately, the work that I end up doing with preteens and teens. Like, I wish I wasn't in there deep in diet culture and intuitive eating and mm-hmm. all of that world. But I mean, it's such a huge chunk of what we do because we see it manifest on the body. And to me, there is no self-trust without body trust, which is yeah. on the core of the work that we do. Now, the inner teen piece, I think it's fascinating. A lot of adults' ears perk up when I say this one because the need for inner teen work, I think will make itself especially clear when we notice the areas that our dominant culture or mainstream culture is most uncomfortable with of human existence, right? So we could say, so a big one that we're like, Ooh, awkward, big topic. I don't know. Sex. Let's toss Mm -hmm. that one in there. Right? Like, but like, how do we talk about, how do we talk about that? Right. Okay. Another one would be maybe alcohol substances. I would also link that to relationship to meaning, mental health, reasons to live, like suicidality, like some of those high risk ones. Another one would be feeling all of our feelings. So, you know, when it comes to true emotional intelligence, a lot of folks put feelings in a false binary. There's good feelings and there's bad feelings. And if you feel all the good ones all of the time, then you're having a quote unquote successful life. Well, that's not true. All feelings are good feelings and they're for a reason and they're there to move through. So I named some of those big things to say. Those are areas that I think intense discomfort in the mainstream. And they're the exact things that teens developmentally of whatever gender are going through, right? Yes. Most intensely, right? Like I say, they hit the threshold and we talk brain development. We can talk puberty. Also just talk the life stages. They're starting to look at sensuality and desire and attraction and body changes. And they're looking at meaning and where do I fit in the world? And do I have a purpose? Am I supposed to do something? And there's alcohol culture coming in and then mental health stuff might peek its head in a bit more. And for so many of us, we didn't get met in the way that we deserved truly because the adults didn't know how to do it because they weren't met. And so we had some awkward, and I would say for many of us, lower T traumatizing teenage years for some Mm -hmm. of us, unfortunately, capital T trauma got added in there. And so when we meet a teen, be it your own of whatever gender, or you just meet one in the world, one of the biggest things I hear from adults is they're scary, (laughs) right? Like, and to me, it reflects back to us our own unmet needs, our own discomfort. We meet an angry teenage girl. And if that makes you uncomfortable, how's your relationship to anger? What were you told Mm. about anger when you were a teenage girl? I can tell you, I was told basically don't feel it. I mean, that was the message. Like, you know, even if I was supposed to be, I was a generation that was very hashtag girl power and, you know, like it was supposedly post-feminist and all these things, Mm. right? But at the same time, I, anger was discouraged. Sadness was okay, but anger was discouraged. Don't raise your voice, all these different things. So just feeling a healthy, normal emotion was regularly shut down because of how people perceived my gender or were socializing me. Yeah. Okay. So back to my hospital example, being around these girls, (laughs) I recognize like going back to your uh, identifying like your own inner teen work that was perhaps left very incomplete. That one of the reasons I struggled was because I really wanted to be accepted by them. Yeah. Almost like on a peer level, which is weird. Very well. Like when you have like a 13 year old and then like a mid 20 person who is like supposed to be in a position of authority, but Mm -hmm. my inner teen, my insecurity from that phase of my life is like, oh, I hope this 13 year old likes me. And that's exactly what you were talking about. We regress, honey. It's so normal. It's so normal. Like I almost, I don't know anybody that hasn't Mm -hmm. happened to, I train people to work with preteens and teens. And it's one of the very first things we talk about. Cause I'm like, Hey y'all, it's going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> You're going to have that trigger. It's going to show up. Okay. How do we work with it? How do we prepare for it so that we can show up as the grounded adults? But if you're not expecting it, oh my gosh, can it surprise you? Yeah. Yeah. So can, it can feel painful to reflect on those, our whole teen experience. And as we parent teens, then I would imagine this becomes a little perilous where like, if we yeah can't reflect on our own experience and heal that, then we're going to probably repeat a lot of the same things with our own kids or like mismanage things, you know, at best maybe. So what is advice do you have for healing for those of us who maybe have some inner teen work to do? Yeah, this is such a great question. And, you know, I worked with my mom for 13 years. She's, she's brilliant, wrote a book together. And so 
she's my most direct mothering expert. And she always used to say to me because she didn't get, you know, really almost any appropriate mothering during her teenage years. And she had a really phenomenal job raising me. And she always said, I felt like I was just desperately one step ahead of you. And so I say that for parents, if you feel like you are desperately one step ahead, that's great. And if you're like, I think I might be three steps behind, this is the perfect time. You are here right mm. now listening to this episode. I'm yeah. so proud that you're here. Congratulations. And now is the perfect time to get more grounded and get more support so that you feel you can hold this a bit better. So that would be my first thing is get appropriate adult support. That could look like a friend that you go and walk and talk it out. It could look like therapy or other forms of mental health support, a partner, mm you know, having conversations that feel overdue with your family in appropriate ways, if that feels mm -hmm. good, because, you know, there can be repetitions with kids, you know, that we're supporting or raising or parenting, but mostly it can be like more in our perception of them. We can see echoes or ghosts of the past come to haunt us. And if we are tending to our unmet needs, meeting those emotional parts of ourselves, it's not that something might not happen that feels like something from your past. It's that you'll be able to see that it's part of their life story and that you're there to support them rather than projecting your reality into their experience. And yeah. then you don't need to go back to middle school or back to high school with them. You can just go once. Congratulations. <laughs> right, right. right. And then you can be the appropriate adult in a grounded place. So this could also look like, you know, a lot of things that are like a mindfulness practice or a meditation practice or... I love body fullness practices, which could look like, you know, anything that moves your body with relative presence, those things that help center your nervous system, I call it ground you or center you, they're going to give you expanded windows of presence or more regulation mm, so that you can yeah. respond rather than react. So all of those common tools, they are so essential and helpful here as you prepare for the teenage years, but really going back and noticing what might feel uncomfortable or awkward or painful from your teenage years and seeing if you can get some adult support before it comes up around your own kids, preteen or teen years. I love all those examples for self-regulation. And those are yeah. things that, you know, I talk about those, like when you're a new mom and just like trying to manage a whole new life and everything like those become really important as well. But I think that we sometimes, I think that we think that we get to a certain point in parenting where you're like, oh, well, like I've been doing this for a while, so I'm good. Like I'm an, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> like for me, I've been doing this for nine years. So like, I'm good. I'm fine. Like, you know, I've, I'm here, I've been in it and I've, we're fine and not recognizing that like every phase has its own new series of things that you have to learn and figure out. So yeah. then the, there needs to be new ways to self-regulate and new ways to kind of assess where you're at and where you're going and how you can be relating to your child in healthy ways. I want to talk about, so as my son is nine and he's quote unquote needing me less, there's this idea that as preteens and teenagers, there's an idea that they need them less in physicality, I think, because mm -hmm. our children are physically distancing themselves. They're like, do yeah. not walk me to school. Do not like bring the car near the school. Do not walk to my friend's front door when you pick me up. Like yeah. they want all this physical space, but you say that actually we need a parent or preteens and teens need their moms more not less during this season. So can you talk a little bit about yeah. that? And then like, how do we balance that? Like my son this morning was like, I'm walking by myself because I made him put shoes on. I'm walking ahead of you. Yeah. And so how do we balance like, okay, like he does not want to be near my side right now, which is fine. But like also figuratively and literally like he's not going to cross the street by himself. Yeah. Yeah. So they do need adults more, not less. And the, the addition I put to that is just in a different way, yeah. right? So it's not going to look right. Like for many, maybe for some, but for many, it's not like as much handholding or I don't know, helping them pick out their outfits, mm -hmm. right? It's going to look like more and more they're flexing those muscles of independence. And we often here, especially, you know, here in the United States, we have a lot about this word independence. We're a little bit obsessed with it. And therefore what becomes negative or weak or lesser is dependence. However, mm -hmm. attachment and healthy relationship is all rooted in healthy dependence. We need yeah. each other. Right. Yeah. And so we don't actually really want the kid to move from dependence to independence. Do you have an independent enough preteen or teen? We actually want to move to interdependence, right? Which mm -hmm. is our natural state of, of all needing help 
a lot of the time, right? We're all, we all need each other. And so one of my favorite researchers into attachment, Gordon Neufeld's approach, which I just really love, he wrote an amazing book called Hold On to Your Kids, Why Parents Need to Matter More Than Peers. And I really recommend that book for parents Ooh. and teens. It's Can such you say a good that one. title again? And I'll make sure I get it in the show notes. Yeah. Hold On to Your Kids, okay. Why Parents Need to Matter More Than Peers. And it's okay. not that peers aren't important. <laughs> they mm. really are. But for healthy attachment, you need to have a primary orientation during your preteen teenage years, which is a stable adult. We just see that statistically kids thrive when that happens. And so Gordon Neufeld says healthy dependence creates healthy independence, right? So we often hear a negative stereotype of parents during their preteen and teenage years is like, don't be a helicopter parent, don't hover. Oh no, don't be one of those dreaded parents. And what we like to say is, be the helicopter pad, be the place they return to again and again and again, as they go out into the world and come back. Mm -hmm. I'm rife with metaphors today. Another one would be (laughs) be the harbor in a storm, right? Like the world's going to get stormy in their preteen and teenage years. So practically what that can look like might be, okay, honey, you don't want me to walk next to you. That's fine for this block. While I walk behind you, Mm -hmm. you're going to have to wait for me up there. I love you. Sorry. You don't like that. And then we're going to cross together. You know, (laughs) that's exactly the conversation. Exactly. You're being the adult. You're like, you get to have your feelings. You're also probably doing your best not to take it personally. Like, you know, he's nine, right. It can feel a little more tricky when they hit the teenage years, right. Because they seem more and more like adults. And so if you have a teen, I just really want to remind you, I'm so sorry. (laughs) They're still not an adult even though you would Mm -hmm. like them to be perhaps. And sometimes they really talk like one. And I know your kid is like, so brilliantly precocious and mature, they're still not an adult and you are the adult because Mm -hmm. the adult brain doesn't fully develop till around age 25 or six and sometimes even later, right? So we sometimes ship our kids off at 18, you know, whether that be college or any other type of life change. And actually, I think we need to normalize a healthy interdependence and healthy intergenerational community of support so that parents are less alone in this journey and we really normalize needing each other. I mean, just think about it, especially if you're a parent or a mom and I'll speak to the mother-daughter relationship for a second. If you have a kid who's going to get their period, right? Or a kid who's going through some body image stuff, right? Like who better in an ideal world to have their back and love on them and support them than like the person who maybe has been loving them their whole life. That's your family structure. Right. And it's just like, has their back and has that relationship. You know, I like to say to my teen girls and teen daughters, especially, you know, you have two choices, right? You can have your parent or parents or guardian be your ally or be your enemy. And that is an Mm -hmm. intense phrase to use, but it can sometimes feel like that when you have a preteen or teen. And so it's like, please hang in there with your preteen or teen. Please do your best not to take it personally. They need you so much more than they even consciously know as they navigate the sometimes fraught preteen and teenage world. When they're a toddler, you're keeping them safe from like hitting their head on a table. When they're a teenager, the container is just expanded, but you still need to keep them safe and help them learn about boundaries and judgment and self-trust and relationships. Like they need adults in there with them. We cannot Mm -hmm. leave them alone. This episode is supported by my very own Plan and Prep Pajama Party. It's the fourth annual Plan and Prep Pajama Party on January 15th, and I want you to be there. This is how you are going to set your simple yet strategic 2022 action plan into action and get it into motion in a way that feels really good to you and it gives you a ton of clarity so you actually know what action steps you're taking. If you are ready to say bye and close the door on 2021 and open a sparkly, freshly painted door into 2022, this is for you. I want to help you open a door that gives you the opportunity to stand back in your power, feeling full of hope and ready to take confident action after two years where you maybe have felt like you've had none of that. So if you want some support to kick off this year and you want to put together an action plan where you have a really clear sense of where you're going and how you're going to get there and what specific steps you're going to take, then join me on January 15th. If you go over to shamelessmom.com slash pajama party, you can see all the good things you need to join us and how you can get show up with your cozy pajamas, your cup of coffee, your cup of tea, maybe you're a mimosa, I don't know. And join us for this three-hour virtual workshop that will change the trajectory of your year. To get all the information and get yourself signed up, go to shamelessmom.com slash pajama party. That's shamelessmom.com slash pajama party. This episode is supported by Nutrafol. 
Did you know that hair thinning will happen to approximately one in two women? If you're among them, you are not alone. Thinning hair is normal, but it's not openly talked about, so it can feel lonely and frustrating and sometimes even embarrassing when you're going through it yourself. Join the over one million people who are doing something about their thinning hair with Nutrafol. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement with over one million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster-growing hair with less shedding. Oh my gosh, I am a heavy shedder, so if you are a heavy heavy shedder, or if you are someone who's wanting to thicken your hair, I definitely want you to try out Nutrafol. I have loved using it myself, and I know multiple other people who've used it and have found great results. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol women's hair growth supplement for six months. To get started, you can take their hair quiz on Nutrafol.com, which will give you a personalized health plan based on your special root causes. Nutrafol is committed to helping you identify root causes of any shedding or hair loss so that you can really start to rebuild healthy hair in a way that is customized to you. So take the first steps to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code SHAMELESS. Find out why 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Go to Nutrafol.com. That's N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code SHAMELESS. Nutrafol.com, code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients, active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family. So to get your own active skin repair, go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20% off your order when you use the code shameless. That's activeskinrepair.com. Use the code shameless for 20% off your order. Activeskinrepair.com, code shameless. I've been watching some of my friends uh, who have older kids and older girls go through that space of allowing the child to have space and then like being the safe place to come back to and keeping that communication open and making sure that like a child can come and be like, oh, I like really screwed up or I told a lie or I cut class or I tried alcohol or whatever the thing is like to your point, like having boundaries, but also being like, this is a trusting relationship where we can, that interdependence is healthy enough that you feel like you can shift between the worlds of like, I'm going to be over here testing my independence and still be able to come back here when things don't work out quite so well. Yeah. Well, and I love that also shame-free parenting. I mean, which I know so much what you're about is Yes, please, parents, if there's number one thing when your kid comes to you with like the thing that makes you want to scream, please don't scream. Mm-hmm. Be like, force yourself to be calm yeah. because yeah. they won't come back probably. Oh, I was listening to a podcast that I listen to really regularly and I've gotten to know one of the hosts yeah. and she was talking about her daughter drinking, trying yeah. drinking and like coming to her and she's like trying to be super. She's like, yes, thank you for telling me. Like you can always mm-hmm. let me know. And her daughter was like overly, she was like, my daughter was kind of enthusiastic about it. And she's like, did I create too safe of a place for my daughter? Be like, Mom, I tried alcohol. It went great. <laughs> and she's like, did I create too much open communication? But she was in all honesty, she's like, 
we had this like really great talk and we talked about it for a long time and like why this is normal that you would want to try this at this time in your life. And this is really common. And then also like, here's some things that can happen that can be really scary. Here's some things that I went through with alcohol when I was your age or around your age, like it opened up this whole thing that was ultimately very healthy and helpful. Although she first, cause she had never had that with her parents. So she was yeah. like, maybe I overdid it. Like, uh, she did not. As somebody in this space for 15 years, I think that's remarkable because it means when there is a bump in the road, which unfortunately there just will be, you yeah. know, that that place is already established, you know? And so I just really encourage parents to really not only say I'm here for whatever, but then be there for whatever. And then also, you know, you set boundaries. Like if your kid was in a safety situation, you'd be like, okay, honey, you don't remember all of what happened that night. Let's talk about that. And you know, that's not okay in a loving way, you know, and let's set some boundaries around that. Right. Right. So that if you know what's going on, you can then also create more conditions of safety. Absolutely. I want to talk a little bit about mean girl culture. So tell us about toxic mean girl culture. And I would like to talk about how this is part of our cultural conditioning and how moms can start to shift this conditioning. Mm, So glad you asked that. So Unfortunately, when I say toxic mean girl culture, I've never had anybody ask me, what is that? <laughs> I'm really mm. waiting for that moment where somebody's like, wait, tell me more. I haven't like heard everybody of Everybody already knows. Everybody like, already oh, no, has like scenarios in, in your stomach, stomach, right? You're yeah. like, we you know whatever gender you are, there's not, you're like, oh yeah, right? And I think all genders can reform toxic mean girl culture. You know, yeah. we, can, oh, yeah. we can do it, right? So I'll actually, you know, even though people know what it is, I'll tell you what are my, I call the three S's of toxic mean girl culture, which to me are what is actually behind the functioning of it. The first S is supremacy, right? So there's so many examples of supremacy culture to me, toxic mean girl culture is a continuation of another example of the false hierarchy, the better than the desire to be the best. And, you know, one of the most toxic sides of that is that then folks who are different, right, are ostracized or harmed. And also that you can build a sense of an identity around just simply being better than somebody else or putting somebody down. And that's not an identity. That's not a self that stands up to a full life, right? Right, Because then you always have to be making somebody lesser. And, you know, as we know, when we're more centered adults in a moment of, you know, relative regulation, we're like, you know, everyone's just different, right? Like there isn't actually a hierarchy and, you know, supremacy is a lie, but so many of us are taught to hustle for that. So within toxic mean girl culture, that's the first S I see. The next one that I see is sameness. So the illusion of safety in sameness. Mm. So if we fit in, if we perform it right, like the right music, wear the right clothes, have the right opinions, talk in the right way, look the right way, dress, whatever it is, then we will be safe. Now, Mm -hmm. as any of us who have done that, and I'm going to bet all of us have done it in some way. Everyone's raising their hand. Right. We know that it's an illusion because safety actually isn't guaranteed through that. Many of us are harmed anyways in social dynamics, right? We're cut out of the group. Someone gossips about us. We're hurt. And the thing is, short term, it seems very effective because you're like, okay, I did it. I like all the right things. Check, check, check. I'm like performing it right here. I'm going to be popular now. Like I'm set on a course for popularity. However, long term, it breaks your heart. You know, it cuts off part of your soul, the truth of who you are. And that is so painful, right? If you're constantly pretending not to like be nerdy about what you're nerdy about or enthusiastic about what you're enthusiastic about, because of course it's almost always like be chill about things. And I've got to tell you, I'm like chill about almost nothing. So it was like really hard, you know? And then the last one is last S is a word I made up, but it's shininess, right? So Mm -hmm. that if somebody is radiant, is shiny, is themselves, is lit up, they become a target, right? If you have like tall poppy syndrome. So it's actually dangerous to be yourself to be quote unquote successful or to be in your joy, right? Like I have so many teenage girls where their text threads are just everybody venting and complaining, Mm. you know? And I love a good vent sesh, but we also notice, I ask them, I'm like, so if you're having a great day, can you tell your friends about it? And they're like, no, because then Mm. what will we have to talk about? And they'll feel like I've betrayed them because like we bond over our collective misery and our collective complaints. Now, Here's my big thing about toxic mean girl culture. We think it ends immediately upon graduation from middle school or high school. No, 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 no. Right? And so I'm going to bet everybody listening in has probably the biggest 
quote unquote mean girl or somebody practicing mean girl culture, regardless of their gender, was probably an adult. Mm-hmm. And it is alive and well. It is alive and well in mom friendships and communities. It is alive and well in teachers, right? And I do think it's a part of us, as you were saying, Sarah, like that kicks up and wants the 13-year-old to like us, even though we're 27, because we're trying to fit into that culture where it's about hierarchy and it's about being the same. And it's about, you know, you want the girl that seems powerful to like you rather than saying, I'm an adult, I'm stepping out of that. That was never healthy to begin with. And mean girls are not normal. It is common, but it is not normal. It is not just what happens. Girls will be girls. Okay. Mean girls are not born. They're raised. Mm, Yep. So that's where we come in. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Can you say a little bit more about they're not born, they're raised? Yeah. So we are doing some form of it. Mm -hmm. They see it. The adults are all doing it, but the adults are being like, oh, those crazy kids, they're doing it. Mm-hmm. And then we have so many examples of, you know, unhealthy female friendships or unhealthy toxic work culture. The teachers are even doing it. And then we say, oh, the kid, the crazy kids are the problem. When in actuality, we haven't modeled other ways to do it, including right. like healthy conflict, right, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then we haven't stayed in there to teach them how to do it differently if they start to show signs of some of this toxic mean girl culture, right? We shame them. We say, oh, just, you know, bullies are mean. Like bullies come from shame, you know? They're taught that because it's done to them and who does it first? Another adult does it first to a kid, right? Right. No kid is born a bully. And so this is where this circles back around for me too. We cannot leave our kids alone with this, this story that adults just, you know, the kids don't want, the teenagers don't want you around. So like, just don't take the rejection personally and just like give them some space. But this is where we have Lord of the Flies situations Mm -hmm. and we need to stay in there with our kids. And that's exactly what I do. And my whole team does. I train professional mentors. So those are professional big sisters and big siblings who have gone through my programs as preteens and teens. And then they go through an intensive two to three year training with me. And then they're the ones leading the community calls and our events and our circles and our one-on-one sessions, because to these teenagers, they like kind of think these 19 year olds like walk on water. They're like, Oh Oh, yeah, you're so cool. And then they have all been supported through their preteen and teenage years. So they got the good stuff. They got mentorship, Mm -hmm. they got support. Right. And then they are saying, Hey, these are, community agreements. This is not how we treat each other because mean girl culture doesn't feel good to the person doing it. There might be like an illusion, like high of it initially, but it Mm -hmm. feels awful to be mean, you know? Yeah. Right. And I'm not just somebody who's like, Oh, I experienced mean girl culture though. I certainly did. I was bullied terribly in elementary school. And then, you know, I spent the rest of middle school and high school desperately trying to avoid being bullied. Mm -hmm. But I also, this is like so uncomfortable to name. It's way easier to be like, Oh, I see a mean girl over there and, you know, lovingly finger point or not. so Right. Right. But, you know, I've ingested a lot of those toxic norms myself. You know, mm-hmm. I thought gossip was really fun. You yeah. know, I got really into trying to be the best and trying to be better than people, you know, and whether it was grades or it was who had the most crushes on me or who liked me the most as a friend, you know, and I think where we can start to check ourselves as adults is notice if we run some of those inner stories or inner dialogues and see where we can re-root ourselves in our inherent worthiness, right? Yeah. yeah. And not always be looking around. Here's what has happened. If we didn't get that in middle school, we can be 45 and we're still scanning the room for the girl who seems to be the most popular to like us and prove to us that we're good enough. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So much in there. And I appreciate this so much. And I want to give an example that I think might be really helpful to people because yeah. I think that I totally agree that grownups, moms and dads <laughs> can perpetuate mean girl culture and it can happen in your household in the way that you talk about people around your kids. And it can even be in casual conversation with your partner. So it might be in casual conversation in a group, in a circle of moms. So maybe you have some moms over, you're hanging out on the deck, you're having some drinks and you're just talking about other people and kids are within earshot and they're picking up on what you're saying and how you're saying it. But I've noticed recently we had a situation, my husband and I where we had to deal with someone who we felt to be very unreasonable and really challenging to deal with. And this happened over a course of quite a while. And so we were having these repeated interactions that were super frustrating. And so we would vent to each other because misery loves company. So it's that text thread, you know, where I'm like, oh my God. And then this happened. He's like, I know. And then this, and we're just venting, venting, but my son starts to overhear it. And we are in this conversation. We're saying, 
I can't believe this person did this thing and that thing. And they're crazy and they're unreasonable and blah, blah, blah. And then my son starts to pick up on, oh, so-and-so the crazy one. And I was like, oh my gosh, we have totally messed this up. And now it's the two of us talking about another person in this really negative light and some really shady things happened in this relationship where like this person was really hard for us to deal with. And there was a lot going on, but my son took away from that was that the two of us can look like we're in this position of power degrading that person. And I was like, I don't care who's right or wrong. And this is like within the context of what my son knows, he needs to know that even if we're really upset with someone, we feel like something didn't go well. We don't talk about it with other people and label them as like crazy and irrational and what have you. So we had to really check ourselves to be like, Oh, from his perspective, he was getting all like excited about like, this is how we can talk about people now. And I was like, Oh God, we really screwed this up. So we were like, no, 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 no. That person's not crazy. We're just working through this really hard time and we're having a hard time communicating. And this has been whatever, like we had to really reframe it. And it was such a great reminder of like what kids pick up on. And then also a reminder just between my husband and I, like the way that we talk about things and the way that we frame things and the way that we talk to our neighbors about it or whatever. It was like all around a really, even though we were frustrated in this ongoing relationship, it was a really uh, good lesson all around for like, here's how you can manage difficult people in a more appropriate way. (laughs) Yeah. And here's how we have big feelings and set boundaries while also not using language, especially on kids dehumanizes another or yes makes, you know, their moral worthiness in question, which a lot of our language can do. Right. And then, yeah, our kids bless them, our sponges, right. They're not just, they're soaking in how we live. Right. Yes. They're doing it all. (laughs) They are. They are. Okay. So you mentioned earlier, you threw it out and we have to go back to it. Okay. Hashtag girl power. And so you say that raising a confident girl is not about hashtag girl power. And I want to know more about this because I am like, can we burn all of the hashtag girl power, lady boss, like all of that. And so I was so excited when you said it, I was like, we're going back. So talk to us about what is this about and how can we move past hashtag girl power to actually instill confidence in girls? Yeah. So I'm ready to burn a lot of the overused hashtags that have become marketing slogans and don't create real change, right? (laughs) Right. So hashtag girl power is up there with me. It's, you know, to me, it's like a weary anthem of a generation that was told it was post-feminist, right? I was told, oh my God, like literally by my family, like, we're so glad you're a girl. You're so lucky you're a girl. Girls are better than boys. There we go. Get into some supremacy hierarchy again. I was literally told that. And then on the other hand, as you know, a girl in a body that menstruates, it was like, oh, but that's gross and weird. And you hide that. Oh, and Mm -hmm. there are no women in real visible positions of, you know, social structural power. Oh, and no women are funny. Like, you know, we go on forever. So here I was in this really confusing double bind as a kid where I was being told girls are amazing. And then I was looking at the world and kind of going, well, if girls are so amazing, what's the problem? What's wrong with Mm, us? So I felt deeply wrong on the inside while at the same time performing confidence. And so to me, this circles back to, it's not about girl power (laughs) really. And it's not about a hierarchy of a binary gender, right? Mm -hmm. This is about all of us of all genders, right? cultivating emotional intelligence and having a right to true body literacy. That to me is also at the heart of it. And then the third piece is around liberation, which to me is also dismantling inner and outer systems of oppression. And that is all deeply tied into the truth behind confidence. And that to me is also how we teach people to trust themselves. You cannot trust Mm -hmm. yourself if you do not understand how your body works. You cannot trust yourself. You don't trust your relationship to your feelings and your ability to center yourself. And you can't trust yourself if you can't contextualize yourself within the intersectional systems of oppression and not feel so crazy and not think that every individual, you know, has uh, equal access in this world. Um, It's crazy making, you know, and that's where devotion to collective liberation to me is at the center of how we actually do trust work for girls and we stop putting a cute hashtag on it and we start looking at the real inner growth behind it for us all. Oh my gosh. Yes, 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 yes. I'm like taking frantic notes. (laughs) 
This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories, a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up, and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where, as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever, and your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you, and you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this is, show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily, it's very digestible, and the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. There's, I want people, I was like going to say this at the end. I'm just going to say it now. I want people to listen to this episode twice because there is so much that you are saying here with really specific language. And I'm sure to you, this is like your second nature language, (laughs) but to people listening, I know they're going to be like, huh, why did she say it that way? Why did she, I mean, the way that you talk about gender, the way that you use words around gender, the way that you're talking about systematic oppression and dismantling and like hashtag girl power is a weary anthem. Like there are so many little things in here that I know people like me are like, hold on, I need to write that down. I need to look into that more. I appreciate the verbiage around this. And I think that light bulbs are probably going off everywhere for everyone. And I know if people listen multiple times, more (laughs) light bulbs will go off. So I want to start with that. But I also absolutely agree that we need to look at what does actual action look like around liberation, around dismantling systems of oppression that actually create space for the self-trust. Cause you are so right. Like performative confidence actually erodes confidence. Yeah. <laughs> like it's you another feel, thing they're not doing right. It's another yes, thing like you they should so have that they're crappy. failing at. Yes. You feel it's toxic so crappy. Perfectionism. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's like a girl being told be perfect. Right. And also please get the confidence thing. Perfect. And right. like perfect yes. doesn't exist. It's why yeah. I call my podcast is called be real. And my girls named it because they were like the number one thing was they were like, perfect doesn't exist. It's an illusion, but we can be real every moment of every day and just keep showing up as ourselves. And that was like their biggest aha, which was beautiful and devastating to me. Right. That we have these girls that are trying to perform it right. Like be sexy, but not too sexy, be smart, but not too smart. Right. Mm -hmm. The standards for gender and perfectionism. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How can all of us be part of this change? Cause there's so much here. So how do we all be part of this change to stand for preteen and teen girls in mm-hmm. our lives? And then, and also like beyond just our circle, like I'm not going to have a teenage daughter, but yes. I feel like this massive sense of responsibility, which I already felt before this conversation, it's yeah. like even bigger. I feel a sense of responsibility around how I show up as a 
parent, as a community member, as a coach, as a, you know, part of my, yeah. the parent association, my kid's school, all these different layers. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you for answering that call. Right. Oh, we need it. So that's the very first thing I'm going to say is we are the generation that these teens have been waiting for. Okay. We are the generation of women who are going to say no more. And a lot of many awesome non-women as well. But if you're somebody who's been a teen girl, let's say there's some skin in the game. And so here's some specific ways you can do that. One, disrupt the narrative when you hear somebody talking crap about teenage girls. Mm, yes. We have negative stereotypes about girls all of the time. They're yep, mean, yep. they're vain, they're selfish, they're self-absorbed, like endless, endless. Or they're asking for it. I mean, that's a whole other one. How they dress, our policing of girls' bodies, there's a, they're a distraction. There's a good one for everybody. Go talk to your school about their dress code, especially if you have a son. Be like, yeah. it's not distracting my son. <laughs> yes, yes. He's fine. Thank you for that reminder. Yes. He's just fine. Thank you, yeah. right? Because they're actually going to listen to you probably more which is distressing, but true. So disrupt it and say, oh, you know, ask another question, tell another story about a teenage girl. Wow. I've noticed, I say a lot of negative things about teenage girls, right? Because to see a different world, we have to tell a better story, you know, and the story, the truth about teenage girls is that they're brilliant and complex and loyal and loving and fierce and sassy and fun and different and unique. And they deserve to hear those stories told about themselves. So they know that's who can they, they can become. And that's no, that they know that's who we see in them. Number two, do your own inner teen work. It's what we've been talking about. It's hard to be that adult when you haven't met that fierce, tender inner teen in yourself. And so for everyone listening, I like know your inner teen. <laughs> folks is so excited to get a little love and attention and how amazing would it be to feel more permission in yourself to live a little bit more authentically from that place, right? A part that feels less shame, right? Because you let her be more expressed. And then the third one is to have the big conversations with teens in your life, whatever gender, especially the ones that feel awkward, like about sex or puberty or feelings or drugs and to realize that if it feels awkward, it's probably just because we're making it awkward. <laughs> That's not, they're not yeah. inherently awkward conversations, have them frequently and in little doses other than one big conversation. And don't leave our kids alone in those because they are having them. They're seeing it online, you know, whatever area it is, if we're not joining those conversations, we are the only ones who aren't. Yeah. Yeah. I can tell you from my nine-year-old who at early at eight, early on in being eight was asking me, he thought, he thought the word sex meant candy or I don't know. He had like some weird, he'd like seen it somewhere yeah. and he said something. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, I don't remember exactly what the association was, but it was way off base. Like, no mom, I heard about it. It's, it's kind of candy. And I was like, actually it's not. <laughs> and, yeah. and we started having this conversation and I was like, as we got into it, I was like, oh my God, are we going, I guess we're going here now, but what was to your point that he was like, okay, whatever. Like we, I mean, it was like a two and a half minute conversation that was like real fast, real factual. And then it was over. And it was such a great reminder of like, I could have made it super weird and been like, come and sit down and like this big thing. And instead it was like, I was doing dishes. He was like half in and out of the room, but like we heard each other. And then it was done. And I was so relieved afterwards. I was like, oh, that was like a really good like stepping stone. Yes. Cause this is going to come up again. So like I did a little preliminary work today and I didn't have to be weird about it. Like mommy got you a new book. Let's sit down together as a family. There was literally no weirdness because it was just this super matter of fact moment that kind of was fleeting. Like in our home, it's normal to have questions and talk about these topics. Cool. Totally. Now, if yeah, we exactly. want that to be true, exactly. we can't yeah. make it one big, hairy, scary conversation because even if we're like, asking me about anything you want later, they're like, I just had a really big deal, weird conversation with my parent that I'm really not eager to repeat. Why the heck right. would I ever ask you a follow-up versus, right. oh yeah, it's really easy whenever it just comes up in a song or a reference or anything. We talk about it for like, a few minutes or longer if I want to, but like, then it's actually no big deal to ask another question by how we're living it with them. Absolutely. I was reading something on this Instagram account the other day that I follow. Um, that's all about narcissism, which is like my favorite Instagram account to follow. It's I love learning about narcissism (laughs) because I've had a few in my life, a few narcissists. And 
one of, there was this meme that talked about when a narcissist shuts down someone who's expressing their feelings, then it teaches that person. So especially in like a parent child relationship, if your parent is a narcissist and you're, they shut down the a kid's feelings, then that kid. So if the parent says something like you'll get over it, or it'll be fine, or just buck up or whatever, then the child learns and internalizes like, I can't be vulnerable with this person. That's the message I'm walking away with. And so to your point around like these big, hard conversations, if you get super weird about it, <laughs> the internalized <laughs> message is like, my parents are super weird about this. And so yep. we're just not going to go there. Like My totally. parents can't handle this. They're a little too fragile, like whatever. So like you have to really, I mean, talk about like faking performative confidence. Yeah, Maybe it's a little bit of performative confidence. Just, bit, just the right the, dose. Yeah. Right, right, right. Well, and this is where also the inner teen work comes up. Like, can we yeah. just have so much compassion for ourselves that this feels awkward? Because I have really almost like I can count on one hand, probably like the grown ass adults that I know who had like good comprehensive shame-free success. Oh my right? God. Like, <laughs> so right. like, here we are kind of like blind leading the blind here until we, you know, go back and get a little education and do that inner growth to be like, okay, in, you know, private or appropriate places that feel safe to me, why should a sex conversation ever feel awkward? It shouldn't, you know, mm. but we were taught that by adults who were taught shame and yeah. so that's where if we can lovingly meet that in ourselves in little layers, because here's the thing, it's like, you're wanting the 13 year old girl to like you, us yeah. trying to have non-awkward sex ed conversations with a preteen or teen. It's like our inner, like awkward 13 year old shows up, you know, like totally. however age we were when we were first like getting sex ed, we can kind of regress again, right? It goes yep. back to that inner teen place because until we do some loving, intentional growth around it we might just go back to that place and that's okay. We can have some compassion with ourselves and then, you know, get some support. So we don't have to go there that often. Exactly. Oh my goodness. Oh, this has been so good, Eliza. I feel like we could just keep going and going. I so appreciate you being here today. I so appreciate you taking the time. Can you tell us how you are currently showing up shamelessly? Oh my gosh. Every day working on that one, currently showing up shamelessly. I think it comes back to the beginning where I said, I'm practicing saying no. I have so much old shame around people wanting something from me, something I know I'd be really good at, that I could get so shiny and well loved on and approved of by helping. And if I just don't want to, or it would disappoint them, or it's just genuinely not in my capacity or my joy, I'm practicing saying no, even if it's going to hurt their feelings or they're not going to feel supported or they feel like they have nobody else to turn to. I'm practicing saying no, because if it's not a win for me, then it's not actually a win for them because it's not supportive to have somebody give past capacity to help you. I wouldn't want somebody to do that for me. So that's what I'm practicing. My oh my no. gosh. People need to listen to that like seven times. Like listen to the whole <laughs> conversation twice, but listen to that piece like seven times. Like just right now, like hit the rewind for 30 seconds. And <laughs> oh, that's so a real one. It's working. Oh I love it. Oh my goodness. Okay. This has been incredible. I so appreciate all the ways that you've shown up and shared and added just a ton of value to a topic that can be really overwhelming and big and multifaceted. Can you tell listeners where they can find you and connect with you and get all your goodies? Yeah. Come on over to us. Our online home is badassgirls.me. If you want to learn, um, we have a free 20 minute video lesson for parents from me. It's called why your teenage girl is a gift and how to make sure she knows it. That's at badassgirls.me forward slash gift. Come on down and check out everything we are doing. We'd love to connect. I love it. I will have everything linked up in the show notes. So if people go to shamelessmom.com and then click on the episode here with Eliza Reynolds, you can just click right through on those links and it'll take you directly to all the places where you can connect with Eliza and get resources. Thank you. Thank you for being here, Eliza. Come back anytime you have, you're doing the Lord's work here. (laughs) We need more of these conversations. So I'm just so, so grateful you were able to be with us today. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Such an honor and delight. Mamas, if you did not get yourself signed up, take a moment right now before you move on to the next part of your day to pop over to shamelessmom.com slash pajama party and get signed up for my 2022 plan and prep pajama party. I cannot wait to help you build out your best year, build out a year that is a year you can own, even when there's uncertainty, even when things to continue to be unnerving. I want this to be a place for you to feel hope and power and connection. And I promise you it's going to be just that. Go to shamelessmom.com slash pajama party to get signed up. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us 